and welcome to this episode of Battling with Business with me, Gareth Tennant. And me, Chris Kitchener. In this podcast, we're hoping to explore ideas and concepts around teams and teamwork, leaders and leadership, and all things in between. It's a discussion between a former Royal Marines officer and a product manager from the world of business, comparing and contrasting our experiences as we attempt to work out what makes teams, leaders, and businesses tick. And this is the first of our The Influencers series, where hopefully last week uh, you will, if you listen to last week's episode, you will have been introduced to the concept of us starting to delve into specific stories around individuals to identify the fact from the fiction and the mythology that wraps around people who are known as good leaders, strategists, managers, etc., We talked last week about who we were going to cover first, but just to remind us, Chris, who are we exploring today? Today um, is one that I'm fascinated to talk about because I was lucky enough to work with people who themselves had worked firsthand with Steve Jobs over the years. So when I worked for Adobe, I I, um, worked over in Seattle and, you know, West Coast tech is relatively small. I've been lucky. I've been to the Apple campus a couple of times, but... Steve Jobs both excited and frustrated me in equal measure, both in terms of what he did and didn't do, and in terms of um, how he has been perceived as well. So Steve Jobs is our first first person that I thought we could we could have a look at on our side. Excellent. I'm genuinely really interested and excited about this one. Firstly, because Steve Jobs is not somebody I know a huge amount about. I've seen you know, the, the, the movies that have been made. I've never read any book about Steve Jobs. Um, so I my only real exposure is from the, the films, which are clearly works of fiction, although hopefully based yeah. somewhat in truth. And um, those endless clips that get shown in presentations or on LinkedIn every so often of, you know, something that Steve Jobs once said, and then there's a whole load of mostly bullshit analysis attached to it It, it's so to to, I mean obviously I know a little bit about Steve Jobs and actually I'd even forgotten until just now I worked at Adobe when there was the debate about whether they would put flash on the iPhone and so flash was a, a a really important technology bet for Adobe and Steve Jobs said no and he even took out a full page newspaper ad to say why he wasn't doing this. So I, I have a bit of a background, but well, look, let's, so what we want, what we said we would do for these is the first thing we would do is, is sort of find out what the story is. In other words, yeah. what is it? So you've, you've kind of said what you know about Steve Jobs, but I, I want to delve in a bit more and say, so what do you actually know about Steve Jobs today? Well, let's, let's start with what you think you know about Steve Jobs. Yeah, so I think that Steve Jobs was a university dropout, I think, from one of the San Francisco, California universities. Um, uh, And him and Steve Wozniak set up a computer company in the very early days of computing. Personal computers weren't really a thing, or very few geeky people had them, but they weren't certainly commonplace. This is back in the 70s and uh, effectively set up a company from his garage or his mum's garage or something um, that became one of the most successful, well, probably the most successful uh, computer company in the world, Apple. Um, 
in terms of personality, I I don't know what's fact and fiction, what's the mythology, but um, a Marmite character with some quite strange personal traits and sort of ways of working that people either liked or didn't like. He was kicked out of his own company because of that um, and went off to go and set up another company that, as far as I'm aware, didn't really achieve much, but maybe I'm wrong. And then was brought back in to save Apple when it wasn't doing so well in the early 90s and made it what it is today, which is, you know, one of the most successful IT companies in the world. I think might be the most valuable company in the world right now. Not Ooh, sure. I don't know. I should have probably done my research on that. It might be something ridiculous like Tesla that could be the most. Fun. But it's, it's it, either Aramco, Tesla, Microsoft or Apple. They kind of bounce around. They're all about around. But, but actually, I think at one level, that's that's actually I mean, that is correct. You are correct. What's interesting is it's almost it feels like these are the bits outside the story, as in we haven't talked about Apple itself and things inside Apple. So maybe we can do a bit yeah. more. That, that's not too bad. I mean, I, I, when I sort of walked into this with my knowledge, which should be better, I think my, the place that I started was he was successful. And actually we, we're going to do this as we go through all these different influences. And it's very easy to sort of say, were they good or were they bad? Yeah. It's very important to say we wouldn't be talking about them if they weren't in some form or other successful or able to do the job. So yeah. successful, you've said, probably largest company in the world. Um, it wasn't boring. No. no. And, and maybe that, I, I don't know, it'll be interesting as we talk about these other influences. Um, I wonder whether we'll find out that that's actually a trait about the influencers we talk about is that they're not boring. And it goes back to in the last episode, we made a couple of mentions of bureaucrats and technocrats. By definition, we use the term bureaucrat to mean someone boring. Yeah, that's often yeah. the comparison we make. Steve Jobs, not boring. Um, you know, I, I think everyone knows he would have those sort of black turtle net jumpers. He was famous for sort of being seen on the, on the stage with those. Um, the other thing as well wasn't like other leaders. And I think if you look at, at sort of the, the, um, uh, the other, the Microsoft leaders, the Google leaders, uh, he wasn't like them. He was interesting. Now we get to the bits, which as you said about the Marmite, there's a suspicion he could be a bit of an ass. I don't know whether that's a technical term and I could get sued by the jobs estate. Um, but the, the thing that this was the bit that sort of often made me a bit uncomfortable was he was a bit of an ass, but there was always this sense that you couldn't say that because he was a genius and you can't say that about yeah. geniuses. The idea that there could be something bad about him or we'll talk later about sort of somehow there was something uncomfortable about that because he was brilliant damn it and therefore if you could articulate that actually these things weren't great about him yeah that that doesn't he was a hero right? yeah i was gonna he say I, I think that that is a trait of somebody's personality being mythologized isn't it as, as the polarization happens between you know complex character distilled into good character or bad character and yeah. then one of those narratives wins out and therefore if you 
say anything vaguely negative, then you're from the bad camp. And and, and that's how these things, these things happen, which is a, a fascinating insight into, you know, popular culture anyway. Um, but yeah, certainly I well, think happened with Steve Jobs. And I think this, this is the bit, this is why when we talked about doing these, I, I got kind of got excited, which is there's a logical extension, not always true. If it turns out Steve Jobs was a bit of an ass, spoiler alert, he probably was. I suspect because of the way we've mythologized people, there'll be other people who are going to be a great leader. I need to do that as well. And that's that's yeah. sort of, that's what's interesting to think. Anyway, okay. Well, so you've just made the assumption that that isn't the case. And actually, I wonder if I will if there are times where being a bit of an arse is actually a useful tool. I think I think so. And and it's almost if you'd read some of my notes, there was a debate about this, in Mm. fact. Um, And I think. It is about context (laughs) when you say, is it okay to be a bit of an arse? It depends. Yeah. If you're an ass all the time and you're unfair and you're a bully, that's bad. If you're an ass once and your team went, wow, he's never been like this before. Wow, we have to. Do... So there's, yeah. there's context. I mean, there's, well. there's a might be probably a hypocritical story about the iPhone being dropped in a fish tank to see whether air bubbles come out of it to see if they could make it smaller. I... And, and these are the kind of things that. You, there's probably a grain of truth in there somewhere and has been twisted into this yes. story about, you know, a team of engineers and technicians working night and day on this project to meet a deadline. And before he even, you know, tests it out, just goes, could you have made it smaller? No. Well, let's see. And drops it into a fish tank. We, the, that almost certainly didn't happen. Or certainly well, didn't happen like well, that. Or did it? What's interesting is, so I, on that particular one, I don't know. There's lots of these different stories. But I think there is enough evidence to suggest this wasn't necessarily unusual. Yeah. And we can talk about what underlies it. All right. So that's, that's interesting that we... It turns out we've proved the point of this that we know these little bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah. We don't know whether they're true, and it's actually quite difficult to go was that a good thing or a bad thing. So that's it. So unless you've got a thirty-second thing on LinkedIn where you can absolutely certainly say it was a good thing or a bad thing. Well, I think that's where you have to. Yeah, this, this is clickbait fantastic. Daily clickbait that really winds me up. So, so the Steve Jobs story. I am not, you know, I, I haven't watched the film. I should have watched the film. I so I now we know. I don't read books <laughs> and apparently I don't watch the Steve Jobs film but um so I'm not going to spend a lot of time and there are excellent Walter Isaacson did a really has written a really excellent book and I've dipped in and out to sort of take some things from there um, but what I will do is I just I just want to recap that story and actually you you did quite a good job earlier so the first thing that I want to do to sort of capture Steve Jobs I can't believe there's many people who don't know about Steve Jobs but he um there was a i'll go back to the beginning in a second but there was a commercial in 1997 it was a super bowl commercial and i don't believe at that point any tech company certainly not one like apple had ever bought a super bowl commercial and it was sort of 1984 there was a person with a a big sledgehammer running around it was all very dramatic go look at it on youtube it was from an advertising perspective quite a dramatic and talked about advert but in the advert there was a a a phrase which almost certainly steve would have written or would have participated in some quite close way and he said 
or this advert said, the people who are crazy enough who think they can change the world are the ones that do. And I pull that out because I actually think that probably is a pretty good reflection of how Steve thought about himself. Yeah. He thought, you know, I can change the world and I am going to change the world. And yeah. that was that was the force. Now, going back to your point, you you by the way, you scored good points on this. He did co-found Apple in his parents' garage back in 1976. That's a that's a, it's now a bit of a cliche for two startups. years after my car was made. Was it two years after? <laughs> Well, obviously, we have to talk about Gareth's Corvette. He's very, very excited about it. Maybe um, another episode. Maybe a whole episode, episode on the Corvette. Um, different podcast, maybe. Going back to your point, and this this I don't think is mentioned as much. I think people who have watched the film or read the book or know a lot about most, but he was fired from Apple in 1985. Yeah. They threw him out. He was no good. Um, that's interesting. That's mm. is, is that success? Mm, I don't know that's success. But anyway, he was thrown out. Um, and it was a while for him to come back to Apple. Um, Apple was near bankruptcy. Uh, and in 1997, they brought him back in. So that was that was pretty big that, you know, he built this company, thrown out. And then a number of years later, um, 12 years later, he was brought back in. Really interesting. Was Steve Wozniak still at Apple during that period? I think he might have been. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a character that's sort of been through for a long time. Um, anyway, then for again, it's funny because this is a long time ago. He Steve Jobs died. I think it was a pancreatic cancer in the end in 2011. Um, but along the way, to your point, he at that point had built the world's most valuable company. And um, I, I want to sort of talk about what he achieved because it's so easy to sort of end up focusing on one thing he did yeah. or what we think of him. Really, really interesting. He transformed uh, personal computing. Yeah. You know, how many people listening to this have got an iPhone or multiple iPads, let alone whether they have... Had an iPod back in the day. Had an iPod. Well, we'll come on to that, actually. Yeah. Animated movies, Pixar. Yeah. That was all him. I'd forgotten that, but yeah. Pixar was yeah. all him um music streaming music that was steve jobs said i'm not going to sell you cds i'm going to stream music through apple uh, the apple service there were others who were starting to do it yeah. but itunes was the single largest way that you bought streaming music so, so i i think it this is something i know a little bit about and it's probably worth just deviating off steve jobs very very briefly in that the, the streaming of music is used as an example in, we're going to do a whole session on starfish and spider organisations. A spider organisation being one where there is a central nervous system. So if you imagine a spider, if you, you know, kill a spider by stabbing its central thorax, you know, it dies. A starfish doesn't, it has a decentralised nervous system. Streaming of music is used as a really good example of the decentralized system overcoming the centralized system. The point of star, starfish and spider organizations is not that one is better than the other. It's that a balance of not being over-centralized so that you're vulnerable to a single change in the market versus not being so decentralized that you can't have a collective strategic vision Actually, you need somewhere in between. 
I think the things that started to undermine the music industry were the free streaming piracy mm. services like Pirate Bay and Napster and Grokster and all of those things. The reason they weren't ultimately successful was because they weren't able to monetize. They weren't able to collectively organize to create anything valuable. And so they were undermining the centralized music system, but not actually achieving. And what Apple managed to do, along with several others, but Apple, I think, were one of the first, was to find the balance of understanding the shift, the decentralization of the market, but cohering it and organizing it enough that they could monetize it. Think about that. If it was if it was just personal computing or just animated movies or just music, you'd say that's quite impressive. Yeah. Phones, obviously. I don't need to say anything more than mobile phones. Yeah. Um, the death of Nokia. The death of Nokia. Whatever it was. Uh, tablet computing, iPads. Yeah. And the million copies of iPads thereof. And finally, digital publishing in various forms. Here's what else he did as well. And I mean, this is a little bit of the individual bits of those. The Mac, the iMac, the MacBook, the iPod, the iPad, the iPhone, the iTunes store, the App Store, the Apple retail stores. There's another one, which is like the Apple retail store revolutionized how you sold technology and still has today. Um, Mac OS, just as an operating system. so with all of those things he created, which you think about that, that is staggering in terms of the breadth of what he did, one man did. And we'll talk about why it really was a case of nearly one man did in, in a so way. I was literally about to ask, is it one man or is it a, you know, one man takes all the glory for a I, team? I, it clearly is not one man because Apple is an enormous organisation. Yeah. So it depends on your definition but was it the drive of one man that effectively got those people to do those things and create in that way yes i think it is i think it is an unusual case of one person who was able to continue to drive and influence things and i'll i'll talk about this in a second as i talk about sort of his strategy it is unusual that most businesses, I, you know, they build a thing and then they hire a bunch of people to say, you should go do music and you should go do this yeah. and you should go do that. That wasn't the case. Okay. He, he was hands-on with every single one of these things. And is the evidence for this being the drive of one man, not, not the ideas of one man, not the technical skill of one man, but the, the drive, is the evidence for that the fact that in the 13 or whatever years he wasn't at Apple, they didn't manage to I think, continue to innovate. I think that's a really good example. They, I, I think there is both the negative and positive example. When he wasn't there, they, in fact, the big problem they had was they ended up with 25 Macs hmm. and different kinds of makes of Macintosh. And so they just weren't successful. And the literally the first thing Steve Jobs, when he arrived, is right back, is he had to stop it. Yeah. There is desktop and there is, uh, you know, um, laptop. laptop. Yeah. Uh, there is low power and high power. There will be four machines. That's it. Yeah. Throw everything else away. And so actually, we'll come on to that in a second because focus was one of the things he brought, but it it was him. So okay. I would argue he literally has his fingerprints on everything to, to both a positive and negative thing. But 
he was asked what he felt his most important creation was. And what I think is really interesting, and I, I, I don't know how to necessarily process this one, but he didn't think any one of those individual things was the most valuable creation. He felt the most valuable creation was Apple. The brand. The business. Yeah. That business and what it did and how it did it. And I would argue he's probably been validated in that, given that Apple is still this behemoth where, you know, quarterly profits of $60 billion. Think about that. $60 billion. Clearly he, and I think this was true as he, as he became ill, he spent more and more time thinking about how he could build a sustainable business. So one of the things he did was he built Apple university. He hired a Harvard uh, management professor and said, go build a university where we can train people who work at Apple to be good at what they do. And he sat and helped write, write the, the, the sort of the, the, exactly how they're going to do that the, the, the yeah. syllabus yeah yeah exactly. yeah that, that's really interesting because we've talked in the past about the, the need to balance current focus on current success and current objectives with building that team for the long term and you know the robbing peter to pay paul and how does a leader get that balance right and i talked quite extensively with joe brown about that um when we looked at mentoring and i think I, I can't think off the top of my head of a business leader who has done something equally as tangible in investing for the future of the organisation. There, there's something as well, and I've seen this not just with Steve Jobs, but in, in leaders I've worked with. There is something about... This could be... What I'm about to say could be staggeringly dangerous. The selfishness of Steve Jobs. Yeah. Steve Jobs said... I am right. Everyone else is wrong. Yeah. We will do what I think. And I've I've worked with some really great product leaders in the past who both were clear on what they wanted and actually were very lucky. And I think Steve was lucky in this. There wasn't a structure which said, well, we disagree with you. They literally got to do what they wanted. I mean, obviously, yeah. but I think that that is very valuable because what I've seen is the challenge you've got in most organizations is you've got this one person with this singular view, passion and drive, and they can't follow through on that because yeah. other people say, well, I don't agree with you. Actually, there's this other thing I want you to do, or you haven't done this quick enough. But it does rely on one fundamental thing, which is when you say you're right, you are actually right. Um, um, I don't think that's the case here. I think there are plenty of examples. In fact, I'll, we'll, we'll do that now. I mean, um, I actually wrote this down, was a list of things that actually didn't work well for okay. me. And um, I, I can't see Well, that. okay, I, I will re rephrase that then. When you say you're right, you're at least sometimes right. Yes, I yes, that's there true. Are that's plenty true. of crazy people who don't change the world even though they think they can. 100%. And this is, this is the point, which is, and we've said this last week's episode, please don't think, or I would humbly suggest to you, just by writing down all the things Steve Jobs did and yeah. copying them, that will not make you successful. There was... So just wearing a black polo neck, turtleneck, not no. showering... And, and being somewhat arrogant in the office isn't going to make it, it successful. And you would be surprised yeah. how many people 
believe that to be that yeah, you can be yeah. and have modeled themselves on that. Anyway, well, look, let's 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 get into what I've done is I've tried to as I looked at this, there there were a couple of things that struck me that were around strategy and and forgive me we we spend a lot of our time talking about strategy. I'm using this in relatively loose sense, which is strategy in this sense what kind of things did he do and how did he approach them to make his business successful and then i want to talk about the person because i think the person yeah. the person relates to the strategy okay. and the strategy relates to the person so the first thing the first thing that i want to call out and i i think this is i i admire this even though it is ruthful and ruth ruthful ruthless ruthless and that is focus yeah he was crazily focused in what he did and i think you'll hear me talk about as we go through i think some of these attributes and some of these approaches were what made him so popular and so successful because he would do things that were you would imagine on the face of it would create everyone around him going, you're an idiot. I don't want to work for you. And it seemed to be quite the opposite. So focus is a good one. So actually I kind of already said this, but I, I want to sort of slow it down and retell the story. When he came back in 1987, um, Apple had built a whole array of different computers and peripherals. There were a dozen different versions of the Mac yeah. desktop computer. And after a few weeks of him talking to the different teams and reviewing what products they got, he, he had enough and he shouted, stop. This is how it was reported, but I suspect there was an element of truth here. And he said, this is crazy. And he grabbed a marker pen, ran up to the whiteboard, allegedly in bare feet. Love it. You got a, you, well, personal narrative. Yeah. We talked about that in episode three or two. Go back and listen to personal narratives. Yeah, so it doesn't necessarily have to be true as long as people think it's true and attribute it to your... When people think Steve Jobs yeah. is a cool guy who didn't wear shoes yeah. as opposed to weirdo that didn't wear yes. shoes. Yeah. Um, he ran up to, the, up to the whiteboard. A maverick. Drew it. Maverick. Uh, drew a two-by-two two grid and said, here's what we need. Uh, the top two columns, he wrote consumer and pro and then the rows were desktop and portable and he said, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. Stop everything else. And I thought that that was such a brilliant example of crystallizing focus. Yeah. And we'll, we'll come back. There's a knock on thing that comes after that in a second. So focus was 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 really, really good. The, uh, I've got another example of something he did, which touches on a couple of other bits and pieces here, which is he created a group of top 100 people at Apple. Have you heard about this? No. From what I can tell, it was a relatively secret group. I people were told, don't tell people you're doing this. Yeah. You can't go. But but once a year they would have a retreat where these hundred people would get a bunch of time in a room with Steve Jobs and he would talk about the business. And these are people from across the organization. From across, and they made the point of saying any particular position it, rank. Exactly. Or, right. It wasn't the most senior people necessarily. Yeah. It was people he effectively pointed at and said. I think there's something special about you and you can add something so to what that, you want. That resonates with John Cotter's idea of having a dual operating system. So you have your standard bureaucratic organisational system, so your org charts, your hierarchies, your authorities, and, then, and that's good for running the business. That's good for management, good for efficiency. But for innovation and development of new concepts, new ideas and risk-taking, you should have this 
parallel organizational structure that undermines all of that bureaucracy and just links passionate people to the project. The subtle difference here, I would suggest, is that John Cotter doesn't say do this in secret because there's a real risk of undermining the, the structure as is if you know there's a secret organization of people that are having I I, I think you're I think you're probably right. And my guess is Steve Jobs didn't care. Yeah. Steve Jobs was like this is how I need to work to be successful. And if other people yeah. don't like it, well, you should be good enough to be. And I, I would suggest that that is a high risk approach. Well, this, this, this is really true about Steve Jobs, which is many of the things he did and how he did them are very high risk. Yeah. Um, so, so actually, but it, worked. So, but it, In this it, it did work. It did work. Yeah. Um, so the reason why I'm starting to tell the story is, is actually it's about focus. So the, the hundred people is really interesting. And by the way, the hundred people also represents, guess what? Diversity. Okay. I'm not going to have the top 10 people who work for me just yep. in the room. I'm going to have a hundred people who come from all over the organization. Was that, viewpoints. was that diversity something that he explicitly was looking I've, for? I've not, think? I've not seen that. And, okay. and again, I'm going to keep saying the word, my assumption, because I, I didn't know Steve, but my assumption is, he didn't he didn't say I need to create a diverse group. Yeah. I think he went around and said, You're a smart person, write his name down on the list and went that way. So diversity by action rather and than, experience yeah. rather than diversity by this is a good thing I should probably do. So it. pulling people out because they have proven themselves rather than creating a diverse group of people who Correct. may well prove themselves. Correct. Yeah. That's I think that's very well said. So anyway, so he'd get them together. Um uh, by the way, apparently he loved whiteboards because he could hold the pen. I love and, a whiteboard. Well, I, I'm looking behind me. I can see the whiteboard. But actually holding the pen. Yeah. There's a we, we should have T-shirts, leaders of the people who hold the pen. There's a there's an interesting thing about that. But anyway, that's not the story. So he would then say to this group of 100 people. Yeah. What 10 things should we do next? And going back to that, because I, I know you think you, you want to move on, but the, the holding the pen thing, is that? like a bit like the conch in yes. lord of flies if you hold the pen you control you have you have the room well and did I, he give the pen to you know I, pull no, people up i say, bet you he didn't give what the are pen? your 10 no, ideas no, i'm gonna sit down i no i right. bet he held the pen because it was a statement that says i am in command i hold the pen yeah. i get to decide what ideas go on the board and what ideas don't go on so i'm board. i'm loving this because it's counter to all of my innate senses of what good leadership but is this is and yet we know that in this case you know and, and you're gonna bring up some examples of, of where it didn't work but but over the strategy of the organization it did and it's challenging everything i believe about balancing people team task about creating a cooperative environment where people are happy and want to work towards the goal even if the conditions around them are chaotic I, it it's challenging it's really challenging me well and i'm I, trying to i'm trying not to just default to nope don't believe it won't work i and i really i agree with you and i think um we we talk about leaders maybe we should talk about cults yeah i think there was a cult around steve jobs and when you get into that situation there is, and they, they talk about this. This is an Apple phrase, the reality distortion field, distortion field. 
I think that there was, he would do many things that broke the rules, you know, people who, you know, we're the people who are brave enough to break the rules. Yeah. And he, I wouldn't say got away with it, but that implies he was lucky. He got away with it because he was very, very good for all of these reasons. So, yeah. well, let's, let, let's keep going, but it's, so, well, I, I struggle with thinking yeah. Steve Jobs is a jerk I, or a genius. I know you want to push on, but I think this is quite an important point. We are judging success by the value of Apple, the amount of product sold. Did he break people along the way? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think he would argue that that was collateral. Yeah. So I, I think this is where I'm starting to feel a little bit more comfortable with, with my deep-seated I... view on the world in that, you know, there are organisations that have been extraordinarily successful and haven't left a trail of collateral damage and, in their way. And I think, I mean, we have we have another, before anyone thinks this is a very Apple thing, Amazon is arguably dreadful. Amazon burns people out. Mm. And they. Uh, I, I've heard this literally from people who worked at Amazon where we knew we were going to work there for three years and at the end of it, we had to leave. Yeah. Uh, and Amazon do that. That's in fact they 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 the experience I had, and of course it was very because it's a very large organization, was they almost celebrated that. It was like, yeah, that's yeah. what we do. So the I think the takeaway is that there are different ways to achieve success. Yes. And so you have artic- I think you're sort of the implication is I could I I believe I might be able to create success and do it in a way that doesn't lead to collateral damage. And we'll, we'll come back to that thought because this was a really interesting question that was asked of Steve Jobs. Was there a different way, Steve? So we'll we'll come back to that. I I also think we're also using a very narrow and specific definition of success that wouldn't apply at all to a non-profit organization, for example. That's, that's true well we could there's a i think you're getting into philosophy now about the success but okay. i'm gonna drag us back yeah that's... i want to no no this is this is just the first point this could go on for a couple of episodes so he would he would uh people would fight to get the suggestions on the list remember this was the yeah. what what 10 things should we be doing next and people would fight to get the suggestions on the list and he would write them down and I love this. This was, this was I think, uh, Walter Isaacson who wrote this, which said, and he would cross off the ones he decreed dumb. That's both fantastic. I'm the leader. These are not good ones. And terrible in terms of, I'm sorry, the dumb ones. So yeah. I'm, I'm conflicted there. But anyway, that's not the point I'm trying to make here. After much jockeying, they'd come up with a list of 10. And this was the genius bit. Jobs would take the bottom seven, cross them off and say, we can only do three. That is the bit I really want to get to, which is the focus. Because I've been in the room before where you get to the 10 and everyone thinks the 10 is magic and every different people have got, we should do them all. And the point is we should do a small number well. And by the way, even three arguably is too many. I mean, I mean you know, he, he had lots of people, but that idea of focus. So focus was the first thing that he, he did really, really well. The second thing that I wanted to talk about, which actually this one's a much quicker one, is about it, it's related to focus. I couldn't think whether to add this in or not. I'll keep it separate, but it's worth to call, which is he was this huge fan of simplicity. It, it was all about 
simple. Um, there's a story about how he went home one weekend with a prototype for the iPod and he came in on the Monday morning and said, this just isn't right. It's too complicated. We're pressing too many buttons. Yeah. And he, in the first Apple brochure, again, I, I quite like, I bet there's a study of all the marketing they did, certainly in the early days, because I'm pretty sure he wrote most of these things. And the first Apple brochure said, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And I thought, okay, that's, that's quite clever and yeah. quite true. So he demanded three clicks to get anywhere on your iPod. If you remember the iPod, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, when he yeah, will, yeah. he said no more than three clicks for anything. Yeah. And they spent a long time getting to three clicks for everything. Yeah. Here's the last one about simplicity and subtraction. He talked in terms of subtraction taking the things away that you don't need uh there was no on off button on an ipod yeah that was the first device that i can ever remember that had no on off button mm. whoever would have thought of no on off button and his answer was why do we need one when i click it it should turn itself on and if Gosh. i haven't used it for 30 yeah. seconds it should turn itself off yeah so interesting so i think See what I mean? These are, I don't know whether these are necessarily strategies, but you could argue apply simplicity and subtraction to your strategy. Um, keep it simple, keep it yeah. so that we can deliver on it. And actually, I think the simplicity was about his design aesthetic and, and something simple was beautiful. So that's that. Yeah, I, I, I think these are probably approaches to the overall strategy that he had. Um, rather than being individual strategies. Yes, themselves. yes, yes. And actually, we will talk about strategy because I I uncovered, uncovered, that sounds very sophisticated. Um, if you look on the internet, he has his 2010 strategy in an email and he sent an email that said to all his leaders, this is our strategy for next year. And I'm okay. I'm I'm gonna I'm yeah. I'm gonna say that now because I want everyone as we're talking to imagine what that is what yeah. what would that look i mean like is it like a 30 page slide deck is it a what, i don't know whatever it is. We'll come back to that so the next one is knowing when to say stop and With this that is in mind i think it's time we take a quick break you didn't know i was going to say knowing when to stop did you okay no. we'll take a quick break and when we come back we'll talk about knowing when to say stop see what i did there that was very good <laughs> Okay, we're back and uh, we talked about some of these things that that Steve was interested in focus simplicity subtraction this next one was knowing when to say stop and um I'm I'm gonna I apologize I'm gonna sort of directly quote because I think this this is a really interesting one and I this particularly resonates with me because it, it's sort of the sunk cost fallacy that once you've started you can't stop once something's going yeah. and I found it incredibly difficult for any organization to know when to stop something so this is a quote one morning jobs went over to see Johnny Ive who was their chief designer I didn't sleep last night he said because I realized that I just don't love it Ive to his dismay instantly saw that jobs was right 
Ives. I remember feeling absolutely embarrassed that he had to make the observation, he says. The problem was that the iPhone should have been all about the display, but its current design, the case competed with the display instead of getting out of the way. The whole device felt too masculine, task-driven, efficient. Jobs then comes back. Guys, you've killed yourselves over this design for the last nine months, but we're going to change it, Jobs told the team. We're all going to have to work nights and weekends, and if you want, we can hand out some guns so you can kill us now. Instead of balking, the team agreed. It was one of my proudest moments at Apple, Jobs recalled. And I think you, you, you can, it's a foreshadowing some of the things I might talk about, yeah. about the team, like you're gonna work nights and you're gonna do this. But actually the bit I really wanna call out there is knowing when to say it's not right. Yeah. I think that also, when you talked about cult earlier, that seems to me like, he's not saying you're going to have to work nights. Like everybody's going, uh, everybody's already bought into this. Oh my God. So when he says you're going to have to work nights, there's just a, an agreement. It feels like um, there is a, there is a collective. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Devotion to the goal. You, you, which... you said in the last podcast that the Simon Sonic definition of a leader is people who has followers yeah there you go absolutely and and that i absolutely resonate with in terms of my belief of what you're trying to achieve is to get people to believe in things to the point where not they don't question it because of course we want people to be assertive we want people to you know we don't want that group thing but we absolutely want people to believe in what they're doing and the purpose and the mission. This is, yeah, going back to what Simon Sinek said, you, you know, you, you can influence people through manipulation or you can influence people through inspiration. I think the jury is still out on whether he is manipulating people or inspiring people. Frankly, we'll I, have that conversation. Well, but frankly, I think it's a combination. Yeah. And this is why it's so dangerous for people to say, I'm going to be like Steve Jobs, because no, you're not going to be like Steve Jobs. You're not going to have that nuance and the skill to understand when and where. I actually think it's also interesting. So the the the, the skill to know when to stop is vital. Yeah. How interesting that no one said no. We've been working on this for nine months. Oh, well, again, we've got to be careful, though, because this is reported. The reported narrative probably written by people who thought people in the cult, yeah. you know. So yes and no. Um, by the way, I do know there. Were, I mean, I've, I've sort of hinted I've met people. I met someone who worked at um, iWeb. There's another product yeah. that disappeared. Yeah. And apparently they were going to uh, launch iWeb. And he was going to go on the stage that morning and the product manager showed him the latest thing. And at the time he went, no, that's nonsense. We're not doing that. We're not going to launch that today. Yeah. And I remember that person saying to me, God, he was an asshole. Yeah. And it was so, so it, there, it, I, I'm yeah. sure it wasn't just simply a case where we'll go, you're so right, Steve. But I think there is definitely, you know, something to be said about being so focused on what you're trying to achieve that you are able this goes back to your point about the project not being something you want to be emotional about it's yeah. the success Correct. you want to be emotional about correct that you're so 
focused on the end result that you can have the objectivity to say we're going to kill that there's also safe there's also a safety thing in there which is i've been in businesses where they would say we've been working it for nine months we can't stop it yeah well how are we going to explain that we're going to stop it? yeah and imagine so, the damage we're going to do this to, terrible. and actually yeah. steve turns that on his head and it's not just you have permission to stop we i, I yeah. demand that you yeah. stop so there's a, there's a really good phrase that i like um which is sacred cows make the best beef burgers that's a good one. I might still t-shirts, t-shirts, merch, yeah. merch. Because if if you are if you believe in something without really objectively looking at what it's achieving, then it becomes the sacred cow. Yeah. You know, if it's if it's doing what it says it's going to do, or it, you know, all the metrics are reporting that it's going to, then brilliant. You know, keep it going. If it's just the thing you've always done. And it's really important because it's the thing you've always done. You're now in really dangerous territory that you, you're taking your eye off. off the well, and I do think that, you know, that it's the sort of thing that people like us on our podcast can say, uh, sacred cows make the best beef burgers. Why is something oh, really fucking difficult to actually do? This is the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the problem with that is thank you for telling me we shouldn't be doing this. Do you know how hard doing this yes. is yeah, yeah. and how much everyone's and invested this, this in is, this? You know, the old adage that, you know, leadership isn't that hard when everything's going well. This is the truth. You know, yeah, it's absolutely true. Having the, the moral courage to turn around and say, we're not going to do this anymore. You know, or, or telling your boss, you know, we've got to stop doing this. You know, it's really difficult. I've uh, there have been many projects that I've said to people we shouldn't be doing, and I was given that look. So let's let's go back to so the next one I want to talk about. Is we we did a podcast. I don't know if we've released it yet, but we about meetings. Yeah. And actually, Steve had a really fixed view about meetings. So he he had a series of weekly meetings. There was the suggestion is there wasn't as much process as you might imagine. I'm sure that's not as true as we might think, because if you have lots of people, you have to have some process. But he talks about these meetings and they were really, really important to him. The other thing was interesting as I read about the meetings, it touched on a question you asked earlier, which is effectively, was it just Steve or did Steve hire good people to do good things for him? And another way of saying is, was Steve a micromanager or not a micromanager? And I suspect from what I can see, we're in the Schrodinger's cat um, of both of these things may be true world. So here's, here's uh, again, I apologize, another quote, otherwise I won't tell it properly. This is from Steve. He said, when you hire really good people, you have to give them a piece of the business and let them run with it. Good. He is empowering people. Mission command. That doesn't mean I get, don't get to kibit, kibitz a lot. Kibitz. I think that's sort of a, a, a Hebrew term for chat or talk. To okay. But the reason you're hiring them is because you're going to give them the reins. I want them making as good or better decisions than I would. So the way to do this is to have them know everything, not just in their part of the business, but in every part of the business. Shared consciousness. Shared. It's, it, yeah. This is. This is textbook good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Empowerment, understanding the system. And so he goes on to say, so what we do every Monday is we review the whole business. We look at what we sold the week before. We look at every single product on development, products we're having trouble with, products where the demand is larger than we can make, all the stuff in development we review, and we do it every single week. I put out an agenda. 80% is the same as it was last week. And we just walk down it every single week. 
We don't have a lot of process at Apple, but that's one of the few things we just do to all stay on the same page. And I thought, so that is, I think is really good. That's, yeah. we talked about why you have meetings and why the bad meetings. This has a singular and clear focus. We will talk through the important things. Yeah. We will do it every week and we will understand the whole business and everyone will understand. And the review that. of the whole business, of course, what that allows you to do is not assume that because you're not talking about something, it's going well, which is you know, where things go wrong without you noticing. Exactly. So if every week you're reviewing the whole thing, and of course, this won't be a in detail but it would be a wave top, but it's a wave top where you're shining light on every bit of the business. Yep. And so when things are starting to go wrong, when things aren't as expected, you can then ask that further question of why and focus exactly. in on that detail. And then we get the Steve Jobs. So this was <laughs> someone else who was talking about those meetings. And again, I don't, you know, it's difficult to know the context for this, but I love this. So, you know, we've just talked about this meeting that happens every week and how he wants to empower people and how they need to be make better decisions than him. And this is a quote from one of the people who work with him. And on a regular basis, you either got positive feedback or are told to stop doing stupid shit. I love that. It's mm. like, well, hang, well, hang on a minute. Yeah. Empowerment up until the point that that's stupid, you should stop that. Yeah. Very and interesting. What, what's interesting for me about that is because it's a quote, um, because it's really difficult to get any kind of was that, was that good you know, or was that bad when he says stop doing stupid shit we all that, agreed it was stupid yeah are people going oh yeah no of course and, and feeling bad that they've let steve jobs down or or are they feeling dejected because bullied, he just like and now they're going to hide stuff exactly and, and of, of course we don't know we don't i suspect it was a mix of the two i suspect it was a mix so there was another yeah. thing he did in meetings, which I, I love this because you could almost write a management book. And if you took out the name Steve Jobs, yeah. you could write it and then said, do you think, what do you think about Steve Jobs? And they'd say, he would never do this because this is too formulaic or boring management. So um, at Apple, this is, uh, there, was a, there, was, there was never any confusion as to who was responsible for something. Internal Apple speak had a name for it. It was called DRI or the directly responsible individual. And we've talked about the importance of accountability. Yep, being critical. Absolutely. And it said often the DRI's name will appear on an agenda for a meeting. So everybody knows who's responsible. I like this. This is a good thing. Any effective meeting at Apple will have an action list as a former employee next to each action will be the DRI. So uh, the, the directly responsible individual. Yep. And a common phrase heard around Apple when someone's trying to learn the right contact on a project was, who's the DRI on that? Love How that. fantastic. Yeah. If that sounds like there was a culture and a habit of we are crystal clear yeah. on who is accountable. For yeah. And I, I think there will be people listening to that who think, oh, that, that sounds like a blame culture. There's also people listening to that going, God, I wish we had that. I because there's nowhere to hide. And therefore, you don't end up with that ambiguity yeah, and that completely. things go wrong and therefore you're trying to shift the blame. That is a careful balance. And again, you've got to get the culture right. But part of the problem that I see time and time again in organisations is they're trying to avoid that blame culture. 
And as a result, what they create is a no blame, no responsibility. No one takes accountability. And of course, what you want is to create that position where people are accountable, people are responsible. When things go wrong, it is down to them. If it's negligent, then, you know, action needs to be taken. If they just didn't do it, well, why not? They did, and it went wrong, then that's okay. It's, you know, it's, it's, well, let's let's investigate what yeah. went wrong. Were you under-resourced? Did we overestimate the time? Did we underfund it? Did we not have the skills? You know, all of these things. But there is accountability at the very beginning, up front. God, that's a good place to work. I, I, I suspect, to your point, it was a double-edged sword that if you were the DRI, it wasn't always great for you. Yeah. But the fact, so that's good. I've got, I've got two more. Yeah. I'll do these ones very quickly, but I think they, they're kind of self-explanatory, but good to focus on. The next one he, he really cared about was the end-to-end. And what I mean is that the, here's a good military example, which is um, in Ukraine right now, you will often see photographs of Russian artillery lying around on the floor. Yeah. Why is it lying around on the floor? Because people have picked it up off a truck and have to pile it. Why do you not see that in typical NATO militaries? Is because someone said, well, hang on a minute, it's not just the shells we're building. We need to think about how do we effectively store, move and secure shells so that we don't need 30 people to unload this off a truck. Yeah. We need to be able to have one person with a telehandler yeah. securely strike this. So the whole thing about the iPhone and the app store yeah. creating that whole environment which says this is the end-to-end experience. I don't want yeah. to have one great experience and one terrible. I bought an uh, an iPod, but I can't get the music onto the iPod. Yeah. You know, just plug it into the computer, fire up iTunes. You can buy the music, download it, and put it on, and all these other things. I like that. So in the military, we have a, a thing called the defense lines of development. Um, and that is an attempt at making everything we do in terms of a project end-to-end. The problem is the concept is great. We've talked about this before. The management training, the management experience, um, and the knowledge to be able to apply an end-to-end approach doesn't always exist. But effectively, the D-logs are, uh, let me see if I can remember this off the top of my head, training, equipment, personnel, information and intelligence, doctrine and concepts, organization, infrastructure, logistics, and then interoperability. That was pretty good. You remembered all of those. But now it's how it works together. So if you're procuring a tank or a helicopter or or if you're developing a new way of working, what you can't do is just look at the equipment and the infrastructure. So we, we need tanks and we need somewhere to put them. You have to look at how does what is, what's the training for this new piece of equipment, but also how does it affect all the other training we've yeah. got? Um, the logistics we've talked before about the operational art and the fact that you've got to think about not just this is the best tank we can buy, but how often does this break down? How easy are the parts to come by? How easy is it to train somebody to be able to repair it? What infrastructure do you need to repair it, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. And we talked about in the operational art series about the Germans getting that wrong in the Second World War, focusing on exquisite bits of equipment 
and the whole thing falls down because they haven't thought about the end-to-end -end process. So I, I'm a big fan of that. It's, again, one of those things that's really easy to say, very difficult to do, but with Apple, you know, we saw it in the end Well, and, user. And, it, and it wasn't accidental. And I'll, no. I'll, give, an, I'll give another example because it's the, the, the non-military people will say, well, of course, that's military. Here is another example, which is Tesla. Yeah. You can buy a Tesla electric car, you can buy a Tesla wall battery, and you can buy Tesla solar panels. In other words, I will give you everything you need to make your car move. Oh, and by the way, most of the non-viable infrastructure that's already out there that I'm going to need to operate, oh, guess what? Tesla. Exactly. They've dominated the you know recharge station market because they've thought about that end-to-end -end user. So I think the the end-to-end, -end, it's so easy to get excited about. I've imagined a new service or a new product or a new tank, yeah. everything else. But the next one is a. I think this one's a cliche, but you're going to hear this is. You're actually going to hear Steve mention this explicitly, which is when behind leapfrog. Okay. Um, and other people will know this is go skate to where the puck is going. That's the, the horrible. Skate to where the puck Have you not is heard going. that? No, before? no. So that is a very frequent business yeah. cliche, which is. It really is, isn't it? it, it it's, it's dreadful, even yeah. though the principle is, of course, brilliant. Yes. It, the, yeah. the, the words are terrible, which is um, don't try to match what your competition are doing. Try and do better. Go do better. Yeah. Go, you know, um, Nokia and everyone kept making phones with slightly bigger buttons or slightly longer. He said, I'm going to go so, something so entirely different that yeah. no one will care about the Nokia. And this is exactly Google, interestingly, have a very similar concept. They call it Google 10X, which is the idea of um, if, if you're going to change a market, and we talked about this when we talked we about did. incremental, we did. incremental I... change. Don't, don't make, you know, a faster tempo. horse yeah don't make a faster horse make a motor car or, well i mean you know, and, and apple make it 10 times better leapfrog everybody apple else Apple have so. done a, there's this one is one where arguably you do you did apple do this for the greater good here's the classic one uh mac laptops didn't have a cd player for years yeah in fact they, that's what i mean is they dropped the CD player way before anyone else dropped the CD player and they yeah. said there's no need we're not going to bother there's the internet we're not going to bother. Oh, God damn. Yeah. Um, actually, right now, Apple are talking, if not have already done, not yet, but I think they're talking about is getting rid of the headphone jack. Well, they, they already have on a lot of, well, yeah, like they were the on, first on, on some phones. of them. So my new, my, yeah. I've got an iPhone 14, I have a headphone jack, yeah. but in fact, I don't have a headphone jack. It's the lightning yeah. jack. Yeah. Very interesting. Anyway, so I'll leave you with when behind leapfrog. And just if you want my favorite when behind leapfrog, Everyone assumed to get the internet to Africa, they were going to have to spend billions on cables, telephone yeah. cables. And a smart person said, or we could put up a bunch of cell phone towers and skip the telephone cable stage yeah. and go straight to cell phones and then we can do it. So it's interesting. Yeah. And so, an even smarter person is starting to do it from satellites from space because there's an even bigger... Well... And, and, and then you're into, you know, how far do you want to leapfrog and this yeah we're, we're yeah moving on from Steve well Jobs, we so. should I, I wonder whether we should talk about leapfrogging strategies because i think there'd be dragons absolutely it's yeah. it's incredibly attractive you've all missed the point i'm going to do this thing google we're going to have balloons balloons are going to deliver internet 
you're so clever. There yeah. are no balloons anymore delivering into. Well, you've got to remember the other ones there. So you've got to stay focused. Yep. So you can't just constantly flip onto the next bright uh, idea before you've actually done absolutely. something. Absolutely. Simplicity. Simplicity. So you can't just think about, you know, a new technology that doesn't yet exist. And yet you've also got to leapfrog. Knowing when to stop. Knowing when to stop. Empowerment. End to end. How do you go end to end if you're thinking Lots about BHAGs that don't yet exist? So there's lots of conflict in here that well there's lots of conflict but it shows the, the greatest leaders the greatest managers use the rules and the processes to support them yeah rather than as a crutch to make it happen yeah, I, yeah. I, i've said this in a previous podcast about the scrum methodology you shouldn't break the rules of scrum people say i do scrum but which means yeah. i don't really do scrum you you clearly don't understand the principles and the values when you truly understand the principle values, now you can understand why and how you can break the rules of this sort of thing. So I've still mm. got to talk about Steve. We might have to, this might have to be an extra long episode. We'll have to see. I wanted to finish with this. So you should Google Steve Jobs internal email 2010 strategy, something like that, because you there is a two and a half page PDF that you can download or three images. Um, I am that there it was there was lots of space. There were no slides. It was bullet points, which I quite like because I'm a big fan of on a notepad writing down bullet points. Um, I'm going to tell you, I think it's about 80% of the strategy because there was there was a few which weren't interesting. This was his strategy to his leaders. This is what we are going to do to drive us. You would imagine there were pages and pages and diagrams and things no iphone strategy iphone 4 with better antenna processor camera and software to stay ahead of the competition until mid 2012 have lte that's 4g yep. for the uk in mid 2012 create low-cost iphone model based on ipod touch to replace 3g 3gs yep. that was it that was his iPhone strategy, everyone. Yeah. That was a whole year of the behemoth of Apple and what they were going to do with their iPhone in three bullets with probably not much more than 20 words. Yeah. There's a strategy. iPad. You thought that was short. Ship iPad 2 with amazing hardware and software before our competitors even catch up with our current model. That was it. That's the strategy. Yeah. Wow. iOS catch up to android where we are behind notifications tethering speech and leapfrog them with siri leapfrog apple tv stay in the living room game and make a great must-have accessory for ios devices that's it that is 80 percent of steve jobs business strategy for 2011 yeah so i like the simplicity of it i like the shortness of it it's as a vision of what you're going to achieve, very, very clear. What it's not is a strategy. And this goes back to, of course, we're now talking about the semantics of what is a strategy. But for me, that is a clear vision statement. It is a plan for the next year. But it is not how we're going to get there. It's interesting. It People... doesn't involve talking about resource. It doesn't talk about time. It doesn't talk about responsibility or accountability. Now, much of that, with Apple, he's probably already in train. I think that's fair. I but think that's fair. That is not a strategy, that is a vision statement. And if you don't understand the context of Apple, 
then you wouldn't be able to implement that. And yet, largest, most successful company in the world. Uh, this is the bit that's, that's sort of uncomfortable. I, I, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm not saying, well, that would never work. What no, I'm and that is a snapshot that is held up and you go, strategies don't have to be big, long documents. No, they I don't. Think I think that's well but said. But there, there is an awful lot of stuff that has happened to get the organisation into a system of working there is also a whole load of meetings where discussions happen and we've got to going right back to one of our really early episodes on strategy we've what we've got to not do is reinforce this idea that you know a 10 bullet point email is a strategy uh, I in agree. the same way that a hundred page pdf document is not a strategy i agree the implementation of that in and amongst all of the incoming information about what the competitors are doing, what Samsung doing, what's Microsoft doing, how is technology being developed, what is the consumer market development, you know, that changing dynamic, that changing operating environment, managing the organization to meet those goals, to meet that vision, that's strategic implementation. So I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go into a bit of speculation now. I'm not sure Steve talked a lot about strategy to his team. I've seen this before where people say, I know what the strategy is. It's between these two ears. Yeah. And either I haven't kind of worked it out fully yeah. or I don't need to tell you. All you need to care about is the next year. And I've yeah. seen that an awful lot. So we're back to Schrodinger's cat. Well, I, I agree with you. This is neither... Yeah. This is neither good nor bad because when was that 20 2010? He died in 2011. Yeah, so yeah. This is quite close. He knows he's got cancer at this point. Yeah. He's dying. Yeah. It's really interesting. So one of the things in the military we are constantly having to think about is what happens if the command is destroyed. It, it might be the commander has a heart attack, it might be that they get blown up in a missile strike it might be that they you know get run off the road in a road traffic accident but ultimately if the general dies and with it the strategy and the plan and all the knowledge and all the charisma to make it work it all goes wrong it all goes wrong it's interesting that at this point because yeah when you're in your 20s you might think you're invincible he knows he's dying and yet as you said he probably is holding a lot of this in his head. How much of a handover was there? that? That I don't know. I mean, we can only speculate. Um, I think at the time there was a lot of argument that Apple had not seen anything new for a couple of years. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I do think, though, that Steve, Steve was the central focus in these things. Yeah. And so it wouldn't surprise me if his handover was a two-hour dinner with... Uh, whoever was going to take over yeah. and saying, this is what's in my head, now go for it. But I I, I do get the mm. sense that he was the strategy. You know, he didn't need to tell people. And I've, I've seen this before with people. In fact, there was one organisation where when I joined, I realised that, that, that my boss understood what the strategy was, but had never successfully been able to articulate that to other people and so the job for me at that point wasn't to change the strategy or argue with the strategy it was actually to facilitate him to talk about it in a way he'd never done before and yeah. so that that was pretty interesting so let's let's talk about steve as a person because i think this all the things we've talked about you could easily take as templates and if i did this i'd be successful yeah 
the factor of Steve himself is the is the magic unknown. It's the it's the flash of what was it you used in a previous podcast? The flash of the kingfisher. The flash yeah. of the kingfisher. So the first one was him being an asshole. And and I say this, yeah. this is language that was used about him. This was a quote song. He would shout at a meeting, you asshole, you never do anything right, Debbie Coleman recalls. Yet I consider myself the absolute luckiest person in the world to have worked with him. How weird is that? Sounds like you're in a cult. It, it does. Yeah. And, and there's a point at which that stops working. Mm. And he was all about control um you know he was a jerk about what information was disclosed he attacked the press when he said bad they said bad things his lawyers went after reporters who disclosed proprietary information um he he could be quite nasty there was an example so we talked about lots of successes mobile me does anyone remember mobile me of course you don't it failed after um Apple launched the iPhone. They launched this service. It was an email service called Mobile Me, and it failed. That you know, emails were lost. Syncing was difficult. Didn't yeah. work. Shortly after the launch, Steve summoned the team together and walked in and quote, "Can anyone tell me what Mobile Mobile Me is supposed to do?" Having received a satisfactory answer, he continued, "So why the fuck doesn't it do that?" For the next hour, uh, Jobs berated the group and said the phrase, and I've highlighted it for myself, you have tarnished Apple's reputation. Yeah, mm. you, there was an intake <laughs> of breath. Um, it, and it was reported on many occasions he'd resort to intimidating, goading, berating, belittling, and even humiliating a team. Yeah. When he was bad, Steve, he didn't seem to care about the severe damage he caused to egos or emotions suddenly and unexpectedly he would look at something they were working on and say that it sucked and it was shit hit quote from steve this is so interesting my job is not to be easy on people my job is to make them better yeah wow yeah bit of a messiah complex there fella. yeah there, there is um, I'm, I'm just listening to all of this and there's part of me that is saying well yeah there's some aggressive language in there and but Something's gone wrong. Calling it out isn't necessarily totally fine. a bad thing. I know this is this is. So we've talked about this. There's a line yeah. here which says, "At what point is it humiliation yeah. for the sake of humiliation, and what at what point is it constructive?" Now we can. Yeah. I think there are many people who'd say this was all constructive, yeah. and there is another camp that would say that sounded like humiliation. And yeah. I highlighted that you've tarnished Apple's reputation. That is an emotional statement. That is not a factual statement. Yeah. That is an emotional and needless statement that says you have betrayed this organization. There were, yeah, there is definitely an implicit sort of blame that goes beyond a mistake and makes it sound almost uh, like it was a, a deliberate act of sabotage. But I get the sense there this is a guy who has a short temper not a guy who is deliberately emotionally manipulating people. That's that's true. And no, I, I don't know. I well, have and, no and it, context for that. But, but this we we've we we focus so closely on Steve and some of the things he did. Here is a concept that I think is really important about Steve and all the influencers we talk about. It's not actually that interesting to say good or bad. No. I think the more interesting question is, could it have been better? Yeah. In fact, the more rather than make this about Steve, if you were that leader, yeah, you followed the path, you got to that decision point, 
what could you have done differently to create an even better outcome? So yeah. the question, yeah. and I don't have an answer, and this was, I mentioned this, this was a conversation that was, that was, was asked about this, which was, you know, he shouted at everyone, he belittled and berated them. Would they have behaved better if he'd have been nicer to them? And was said, I'm not sure they would. So yeah. the, 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 we can leave that debate to posterity. Yeah, of course. But, but it is, is what would you do differently and better? Because if all yeah. we do is say, that was a good thing, I will do it. That is a bad thing, I won't do it. We've missed that final dimension of the, the art of being the better leader is saying, I'm going to take that good thing from you, that good thing from you. I'm going to blend it with my good thing and therefore actually uh this is something that's even better so at that point when he yeah. said you have tarnished the reputation what could he have said that wasn't as actually humiliating yeah together we can make the reputation better or whatever it might be i, I also think there's something in here about the the difference between popularity and respect or popularity and, and being able to lead people to get them to follow you and whilst in almost every situation, being polite, being courteous, being patient is a virtue that leads to better results and these things compound. Just because you're not polite, just because you lose your temper, doesn't make you a bad leader. What makes you a bad leader is when people stop following you. And, and it's interesting, we haven't really got to, I don't think we will get to the bottom of how much of this is inspiration, how much of this is manipulation. Yeah. That's, you know, not well, here for you us go. to decide. Here's, here's, here's your last quote on this um, about his passion for perfection and, and the use of the word A players. Quote from Steve, um, or we'll get to quote, but he, he only tolerated A players and, and it was, quote, his way of preventing what he called the bozo explosion like the term in which managers are so polite that mediocre people feel comfortable sticking around so he yeah. he was kind of saying i'm going to push you because i want people to leave the room uh yeah okay steve i'm interesting concept i don't know so here you go he said i don't think i run roughshod over people hmm. i think you have a lack of empathy fella i'm yeah, not possibly, sure yeah. you understand yeah so but my train set I get to decide what's rough shot. It carries on. But if something sucks, I tell people to their face. It's my job to be honest. Mm. So I, again, I'm, I'm sort of torn on this because I think there is definitely a tendency to... Um, Confuse uh, honesty with rudeness. Well, either way, you can either be a rude, inconsiderate, angry terrible boss and not achieve anything because people don't respect you people are frightened of you people hide things from you but equally you can be lovely empathetic mild and not achieve anything and not achieve anything because people it, get away with stuff because the the mediocre continue to be mediocre it, 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 what i what i find difficult is this concept of my job is to get rid of the mediocre Actually, what you should be trying to do is find people's talents and utilise people's talents properly. Now, if you've got deliberately malicious people, um, then they need to go. If you've got people that are promoted above their 
you know their their capabilities then you need to move them Agreed. or get rid of them what you can't do well i say this he obviously did and it worked but what i would say you can't do is um is try to you know constantly go who's the bottom third let's get rid of them and i know there are organizations i, I think this is to, infamous to this day of, to this you know, day goldman sachs yep. have this reputation i don't know how true it is of ranking everybody many and organizations the bottom down many down. organizations those things create insidious cycles and insidious loops but the idea of not allowing mediocre activity to be unreported because it's uncomfortable to be a bit critical absolutely on side one 100 but isn't it interesting how again the the the, the sort of the steve jobs supporters could very easily say how this was good yeah and detractors would say this bad. is bad yeah. so let's finish i'll just finish i'll finish the quote because i think it perfectly finishes off he says i don't think i run russian over people but if something sucks i tell them their face it's my job to be honest this was uh i think this was walter isaacson when i pressed him on whether he could have gotten the same results by being nicer he said perhaps so but it's not who i am and i think it's not who i am is is so interesting and revealing it is his magic recipe was him yeah and therefore that's how he got those results and he so said he, he said maybe there's a better way then he then he yeah. starts being a jerk again a gentleman's club where we all wear ties and speak in this brahmin language and velvet co-word code words but i don't know that way because i'm middle class from california personally i think that's a jerk answer i that agree says yeah. Uh, yeah maybe i could be better but they're all idiots who do that. So that's fine. It's interesting. There's, there's a quote that is often thrown out in the military about leadership, which is, um, it's, it's the end of a whole quote, but it's General Slim, you know, famed for yeah. you know British Indian Army and the success in Burma. General Slim says, leadership is just plain you. And there is definitely a point in here that, you know, that's not who I am is effectively saying, my leadership is the way I do things. It's my personality. And there is definitely something we need to acknowledge here, which is you can't rewrite your internal programming. You can't, you know, you are the product of your genetics and the 50 years of experience it, it's you've a, had. It's a package. And so, there, like we've said several times, there is no, there's no blueprint these are insights into things that have worked may have worked exactly. better could have could have failed did fail you know but you you can only you can only use the attributes you have that doesn't mean you can't grow and mature and develop well i, so I it's not an excuse i agree i i think there could be five steve jobs you could clone him five times yeah. and three times he'd be failure and two times it'd be not be a failure yeah. so here i wanted to round off so we're coming towards the end you know, I spent a bit of time thinking about this, looking at here are my conclusions. And I wanted to finish with or start those conclusions with a quote from his biographer, Walter Isaacson, really interesting book. He said, I think his personality was integral to his way of doing business. He acted as if the normal rules didn't apply to him and the passion and intensity and extreme emotionalism he brought to everyday life were also things he poured into the products he made. His petulance and impatience were part and parcel of his perfectionism so yeah you're you, it's so interesting that you made that point because these were the notes i would written that i wanted to bring up at the end which was 
this really resonates with me. For the last 20 years of my career, and I know this will be a real surprise to you, I have been told by all of my bosses, I talk too much. After 20 years, I've come to terms with, it's who I am. Yeah. That's make me, that's part of what makes me who I am. So if you think Chris Kitchener is successful, part of that is talking too much. And so Steve Jobs being an asshole, there is another thing he could have done. Mm. I could stop talking as much. It's who he is. And I thought that was so interesting. So yeah. it's, and it, this was sort of one of my summaries was it's not about whether Steve Jobs was good or bad. I think that's a fool's errand. I don't think that's very interesting, but it's about what we can take and how we can make those decisions. Is this how I would want to behave yeah. or would I behave differently? And he made loads of mistakes. I mean, again, we should, for all those people who say he was Saint Steve, he was fired. Yeah. He was fired. He had products that didn't work or we don't remember. Newton, Pippin, the Round Mouse, the E-Mate, E-World, Apple III, Firewire Standard. So before everyone says how amazing he was, he yeah. also made a bunch of terrible decisions, but that was good. So I also don't think we really know Steve Jobs. Like we've spoken now for however long today. Yeah. I don't think we know him. I think we've got this picture that other people have painted yeah. of him. Was he a bully or did he just set a high bar? Was he an asshole or a genius? It's this is really it's, difficult. It's, it's the polarization of the cult. And I, I think this is going to be a difficulty we come across with many of the, the people that we explore in these episodes is with hindsight, the complexity of the individual gets simplified yeah. and it becomes a polarized either he was a terrible person or he was a genius and you don't understand and the problem is and hopefully this is what we're trying to sort of get back to is if you sit on either side of that fence you're not willing to listen to the counter argument correct i i agree with you i don't think we know steve jobs i don't think we're going to know steve jobs i think we've had an insight but i think as with all these things, there are there are lessons to take away. Well, there are myths to be aware of. The, the the last, literally, the last thing I'll say on this one is the one thing I'm reasonably confident of is if you copy Steve Jobs, you are not Steve Jobs. You yeah. you know, there's you could you could literally slavishly follow everything he did, the style he did it. You could dress like him, you could talk like him. And you are still not Steve Jobs. So yeah. it, it, the slavish mimicking or the slavish lionization or demonization yeah. is not useful to us. Yeah. But a fascinating, fascinating no, character. Was. And, and it, hopefully we've, we've done a little bit to not just talk about some well, of the stuff. It that certainly challenged a lot of my views on, on what success looks like, how it can be achieved. Um, and, and I'm going to go away and continue to reflect on this a little bit. Um, so, so thank you pleasure well i'm looking forward to the the one we're going to do next i think we'll do a military one after this john so. boyd i think and let's see if i can if i can uh, dis- oh no we're going to leonard cheshire next leonard cheshire boyd after that. okay so um i think that's all we've got time for if you've enjoyed listening then please do comment we need more comments in order to make the algorithms work uh, and tell your friends we are available on battling with business at gmail.com if you want to email us we're also on twitter at battling with biz that's biz with a z 
please do uh, reach out. Tell us what you think. If you've got more insights on Steve Jobs that you want to share with us, uh, we would love to receive them. But that's it from me. Thanks very much. Thanks very much for me as well. <laughs>